mark. Uh, do keep that open. And uh, if you like it for your notes or just to see where we're going, there, there are handouts around as well. Let's pray again. Uh, ready to echo Derek's really helpful prayers. But let's pray again. Father, please would you indeed uh, shine in our hearts, shine in our lives now as we look at these wonderful, wonderful words. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, please would you expand our, our view of him that we would see him more rightly. In Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Amen. Can I have the first slide up, please? My phone connects. Well, in the uh, 1950s, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, a series of children's books, although very much highly recommended for adults too. The books are full of symbolism, where characters and events represent characters and events of the Bible. And um, the Aslan in this, my phone's not quite there. There we go, thank you. Um, Aslan, the great lion um, that features there, represents Jesus. And there's a, a lovely moment in Prince Caspian, which is the, the second book in the series, the one after The Lion, The Witch and the Wardrobe, the, the most famous, where Lucy, one of the characters, meets Aslan again. And we read this. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell half sitting, half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into the large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, he answered. Not because you are. I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. The Lord Jesus Christ does not get bigger. But as we grow in our Christian lives, he will appear bigger and bigger, or at least he should. You see, as we grow our understanding and appreciation of who Jesus is should be growing and expanding and more accurate to who he truly is. And over the course of the next month or so, we are going to be basing ourselves in John chapter 1. And although we're, we're kind of zooming in on a handful of verses here, and going to go quite slowly, particularly over the next three sessions... We're not getting a microscope out, so we're zooming in, but we're not getting a microscope out trying to make something that is actually small look much bigger than it is. Rather, we're getting the telescope out. We're going to more accurately see just how big something is, just how big the Lord Jesus is. We've called this series, um, Time to Rethink Jesus. And we've called it that particularly with guests in mind, for, for, people, for newcomers who are perhaps considering Jesus for the first time over this Christmas period. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're visiting and you're just beginning to think about who he is. Well, I'm sure these verses are going to be really helpful for you to, to see who Jesus is. But equally, if you are a regular here, Perhaps our thinking doesn't need a, a, a complete overhaul, yet nonetheless, 
our view of Jesus always needs refining and expanding. John chapter 1 verse 14, and it's partly why I asked Mark to read the, the whole section there. John chapter 1 verse 14, this is what Christmas is all about, isn't it? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the Word, the Word became flesh, he became a man, and he came to dwell on this earth. That is the message of Christmas, that we'll be thinking, if we're Christians, we'll be celebrating over the next month or so. But if you glance back to to verse 1, and we're just looking at verses 1 to 5 this morning, we'll see three times in verse 1, Jesus is described as the Word. Well, why does Jesus, uh, sorry, why does John choose the Word to be the title that he gives for Jesus here? Well, when we think about God's Word in the Old Testament, which John's original readers would have been probably more familiar than the majority of us, well, actually, we'll see it's an entirely suitable title for Jesus. Uh, Don Carson, the, the theologian commentator, points out that, that in the Old Testament, the word was, did, was connected to at least three things. Firstly, he was, the, God's word was connected to creation. Um, so just a couple of verses here for you. The, the kind of very um, famous one, and God said, it's coming. Never mind, we should know. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Back to the previous one, sorry. That's all right. And God said, God spoke, and light came to be. God's word was involved in creation. Uh, if we could have the next one, just kind of making the same point there. But um, By the word of the Lord... The heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So the word in the Old Testament was connected to creation. Secondly, it was connected to revelation. So if I have the the next one, again, time and time again, one of numerous examples we could have picked, but just for a flavor, Jeremiah 1.4, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, dot, 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 God's word brought revelation from God's. So God's word was connected to creation, God's word was connected to revelation, and God's word was connected to salvation. Uh, So if we could come on to... um, Sorry, my phone's not loving life. Thank you. Uh, Salvation, so Psalm 1720, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So actually, when we have the Old Testament background in mind, the fact that John calls Jesus the Word really makes sense. It's a very appropriate description for Jesus. Creation, revelation, salvation. And so these first few verses here focus on, and that's why we've called the talk, Jesus the Word. But what do we learn about the Word? Well, we're going to see three things. He is eternally God, he is the agent of creation, and he is the life giver. First off, eternally God. Go to the next slides. In John verses one, in I've been saying this, one John, it's not one John. In John one verses one to two, Jesus tells us three things which build up to this picture of being eternally God. So first off, twice we're told that the Word was there in the beginning. Have a look at them again. In the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So twice we're told that Jesus was there at the beginning. When John says the beginning, he's going back to the beginning, the very beginning of everything. If you think about the four Gospels, it's interesting how they they start. Mark, his beginning starts with John John the Baptist's ministry. So just before Jesus' ministry. Matthew, um, Luke, he goes back further. He goes back to the birth narratives of John the Baptist and Jesus. So their conception and then births. Matthew goes further back. He goes back to the calling of Abraham, to the start of God's people. John, he goes back to the beginning, the very beginning. In fact, he goes back beyond the beginning. This is talking about when there was nothing No worlds, no sky, no planets, no light, no life of any kind. Back when there was no creation, Jesus was there. He was there in the beginning. The word was, is eternal. So secondly, twice we're told he was there in the beginning and twice we're told that he was with God. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It's hard to get our heads around, isn't it? But before eternity, before there was anything, the Word was there and the Word was with God. We'll see in just a second that the Word is God himself. And yet we see here that he is distinct from God. This is describing the Trinity, or at least two persons of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, the Word, God the Holy Spirit. All equally God, and yet distinct persons. Jesus was there in the beginning with God. And in case we weren't sure of that, these two repeated ideas, with God in the beginning, sandwiching the most significant, which is that at the end of verse 1, the Word was God. The Word was God. Distinct from the Father, yet no less divine, no less God's. When we read in the beginning, if we're familiar with our Bibles, we're expecting God, because that's what we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, and we're thinking God. Well, John says, in the beginning, the Word. Because the Word is, was, is God. Not too far into Jesus' ministry, the Jewish leaders got really upset with Jesus. In fact, more than kind of upset In John 5, verse 18, he says this, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. By Jesus' claims about himself, the religious leaders rightly saw that he was claiming to be equal with God, and they didn't like it. But it's true. We see it here. Jesus claims to be equal with God. Well, they're backed up because he is the word. He was there in the beginning with God. He was God. 
we bring these things together, we see that Jesus is eternally God's. There was never a time when Jesus was not. He was with his Father eternally, no less divine, but distinct from the Father. Jesus, the Word, the Word eternally God's. I've got a very good uh, friend, uh, not, not a Christian, who grew up with, probably known since about four years old. Went to primary school, went to secondary school, even went to university with him. And uh, we followed the whole way through and over, and still in contact today. And over the years, I've witnessed to him a lot. I've spoken a lot to him of Jesus. I distinctly remember one time at a university having uh, taken him to events that our Christian Union put on and we were talking about it afterwards. And he said to me, he said, I get the idea of God, but why do you keep going on about Jesus? He kind of, yeah, I get the idea of this kind of power, but, but what's it about this kind of person? And it absolutely breaks my heart to see that he does not see the significance of Jesus. Why do, I, why do Christians go on about Jesus? Well, it's because he is God. If we want to know God, well, we know Jesus. That is how God has made himself known, as we'll see further through these words. Maybe that's you this morning as well. Maybe you think, why do they keep going on about this Jesus guy? Well, this is why. And that is one of the reasons, again, why we love to, to do this course, Christianity Explained or Christian Foundations. We're going to be offering it to people through the carol services. Why? Because it's spending six, seven, eight weeks looking at Jesus. Because as we look at Jesus, we look at God. Jesus is eternally God's. Secondly, Jesus is the agent of creation. Have a look down at verse 3. Here's the words. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the agent of creation. Again, John doesn't want us to miss the point. He repeats himself. He puts it positively, then he puts it negatively. It's as if kind of John takes us back to the, the moment of creation, kind of invites us there to kind of see what's going on. And he, and he says, watch. The earth, the sky, the stars, the plant life, the marine life, humans, it was all made through Jesus. Verse 3, all things were made through him. We watch it, it all came through Jesus. And then John kind of steps back and says, well, kind of look around. Look where you are now. See. Let's see everything. See me. See the person next to you. See the halls. See the trees out the back. See the sky. Everything. Look at it all. And then think about everything you can't see, all the kind of molecules and atoms. None of these things were not made through Jesus. Jesus was the agent of creation. Absolutely everything was made through him. Is there something that makes you just kind of go, wow? Um, what, what incredible creation that is. I think for me, standing at the top of a mountain in the Alps, look around, that makes me just go, wow. What an incredible creation. 
Maybe it's something like that for you, or maybe it's kind of, again, very small things, part of the body or human life or whatever. Whatever makes you go, wow, that thing was made through Jesus. And remember, this creation, this creation came from nothing. Again, that's a hard concept for us to grasp, isn't it? But this creation from nothing came forth all of this. When we see creativity nowadays, again, it can be incredibly impressive. And a few years ago, Amy and I went to the World Ice Sculpting Championships. Um, it, we just kind of happened upon it, actually. We were walking around, but it was down in Canary Wharf. It was Canary Wharf, wasn't it? Uh, and, and incredible to see them creating. But they were creating out of something. The ice was there. They were making something incredible from it. No, this creation came from nothing. All made through Jesus what supreme power, majesty, and creativity. And this actually indeed further backs up the point of Jesus' eternal divinity. Christians aren't alone in holding Jesus as significant. Uh, um, Islam has Jesus as a prophet. Jehovah's Witness think Jesus is very important, but they think him less than God's. And I think actually... John 1, 3 is the most helpful verse to speak to people about those kind of things. So we could go back to verse 1 and say, look, it says the word was God. But actually, for example, the Jehovah's Witness Bible has a different translation there. It says that Jesus was a God. So you can kind of get caught up there. But actually, I think verse 3 is the most helpful way to explain it. I read this a number of years ago, and I found it the, um, noted down then, and I found it a very helpful framework for thinking and explaining Jesus' divinity. Think of it like this. Here's a big box. And that in this, this big twofold box, uh, two sides, is everything that exists. Everything that has existed, everything that exists, everything that will exist. Everything. And then we divide it up into two. So first on the left, we say all things that never came into being. So that's those things that are eternal. Those things that have always been there. They exist, but they always have been. And... Uh, we would say, and again Jehovah's Witness for example would, would say, well who, what goes in that box? Well God goes in that box. God has always been there. But then we have the second side of the box which are all things that came into being. So things that weren't there at the beginning but have been brought into being. And again, what goes in that box? Well we kind of say well look, any, anything in creation. Uh, could, I, could you click the next one please? Not there? Come in. Basically, all creative things, anyway. Everything that we kind of looked at um, and were interested in. So this is the box. So this is what we could show people. This is a framework for you. Right? Everything that has, will, has, does, ever, will exist. We've got two categories. Things that have always been here, and we've got other things that have been created, that came into being. And the question is, is, well, what box does Jesus go into then? Where does he fit? Well, when we read verse 3, there is only one option. Because we see absolutely everything that has ever been made was made through him. So he cannot have been made. And so, if we got the next slide, please. Our slides are having fun today. Don't worry, Benjamin. Anyway, the, one, the box on the right are all the things that we see from verse 3 that Jesus made. 
And so where does Jesus go? Well, he must go in the left-hand box, in the, the God box, because he is God's. You see here, Jesus is the agent of... Thank you, there we go. And so the goal thing is, all those things were created through Jesus, and so he can't go in that box. He's got to be in the other. Jesus is the agent of creation, which is a further affirmation that he is indeed God. Jesus, eternally God. Jesus, the agent of creation. And finally, if we have the next slide, Jesus, the life giver. Have a look down at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Again, our minds go back to creation with the kind of language used here. Life, particularly human life, was the point and the pinnacle of creation. And that life came through Jesus. And again, in verse 5, our minds go back to creation. So verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, in Genesis 1, chapter 2, we read there was darkness over the the waters of the deep, utter darkness, until, verse 3, God's word comes, and, and God said, let there be light. See, Jesus is the source of light. But again, verses 4 and 5 don't just take our minds backwards to creation. Actually, they point forwards from this point in the Gospel too. They lead us not just to creation, but to salvation. You see, later in the Gospel, and Derek's prayers were so helpful in teeing it up from John and from John's letter, Jesus describes himself as both life and light. He is life. He is the source not only of physical life from creation, he is the source of spiritual life as well. When Jesus came, uh, Jesus, the word here, we saw in verse 14, he came uh, to dwell among us. And then as we travel through this gospel, we see that actually darkness um, hated the light. And so much so, as we saw earlier, the religious leaders wanted to crucify him. And so ultimately they did indeed have their, have in a sense their way. All according to God's plan, Jesus was indeed crucified. He died so that he would bring life to his people, to those who trust in him. Trust in his death on the cross. He brings life. Life that starts now. Life that is a relationship with God that begins now when somebody trusts in him. And life that will go on forever with resurrection bodies too. Jesus is life. Jesus is the light. His life is the light of men. This revelation of God so that all who could see him and receive that life. Now now light is the, the big theme that's going to carry on into the next verses. So I'm not going to I'm just going to touch on it here. But again, just let me um, read verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. There's something that stands out in that verse, because um, all through these verses, everything is in the past tense, describing what has already happened. 
But actually, verse 5 is present tense. Yes, it has happened in the past, but it was happening in John's day, and indeed is happening in our day too. The light shines. Now, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus' light is shining through this world today. And darkness isn't just the absence of light. It is, particularly in John, it is active hostility. It is evil set against Jesus. It pictures this conflict that actually will characterise so much of the book of John. But often in life, doesn't it? It seems, today, seems like darkness is winning. Seems like evil so often has its way. But in verse 5 we read, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It cannot overcome it. Ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruits in the garden in Genesis 3, and they were banished from the garden, life and death has been this huge theme of the Bible. And here we see that Jesus, the light, has come to bring life. Jesus is eternally God. Jesus is the agent of creation. Jesus is the life giver. When you think of Jesus, or I say Jesus, I wonder what mental picture comes to mind. Well, here I think that picture should be a huge one. Particularly at Christmas time, we can be thinking of Jesus, this little baby. Jesus, meek and mild, in a, in a trough and all those things. And, and those are wonderfully true. But actually, there were many babies born. There were many babies born probably that same time as him. What makes him so special is that who he is. What helps us appreciate his humility and his meekness and mildness and the fact he came as a baby is the fact that he is God's that he was with God in the beginning, that he created, that through him all things were created, and he is the source of life and light. That is what makes the incarnation so remarkable. Jesus is unparalleled in his majesty and power and greatness. We can't reduce him, we shouldn't reduce him in any way, we can't reduce him to perhaps one in in the line of, of prophets or holy people or good men or whatever. No, Jesus stands apart from them. And so the call for us is to see Jesus as he really is in all his greatness and majesty, to bow before him in his greatness which helps us understand and appreciate his nearness when he comes, that we'll look at on Christmas Day. Well, maybe you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ. You need to see who he really is and submit your lives to him to come and have life. Maybe you need to recapture the greatness of Jesus. He's got a bit small in your minds. He's faded away. Well, again, see who Jesus is. Are we all willing to submit to Jesus as our great and powerful gods?